Welcome back to Pace Immigration, paceimmigration.com. Joined today by Anna Azam from Pace Immigration, immigration lawyer, extensive experience in refugee law, which is what we're going to talk about today. Anna, how's it going? It's going well. It's very busy right now. I'll bet it is. And I wish it was under different circumstances. There's a lot of people out there in trouble who are looking for information on refugee law. But you and I were talking off camera a couple of days ago about uh, there's this a uh, bit of a disconnect in what uh, between a displaced person, as we have there on the screen, and a refugee. And I thought it would be interesting just to call this up. So I went to Google and I Googled, what is a refugee? And this is what I got from Google. Google says, and they're quoting Oxford uh, Dictionary here, a person who has been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. That doesn't quite jive with the United Nations definition, though, which says someone who is unable or unwilling to return to their country of origin owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion. Bit of a long-winded one there, but those reasons really do matter, don't they, Anna? They do. It's it's long-winded, but it, it's also what it's doing is narrowing down the definition uh, a lot so that you have to be part of these particular groups of people, uh, whereas the Google version is, you know, Every single person in the country could be a refugee if there is a national uh, natural disaster, for example. The UN definition does, uh, it, it contemplates narrowing it down uh, partly in order to keep it manageable so that countries who sign on to this convention are able to actually uh, have a, a system in place and process people uh, without it being out of control. Right. I thought it would be interesting, too, to call up some real world examples, even the head, uh, the U.N. High Commissioner for Refugees, quoting, uh, in just seven days, we have witnessed the exodus of one million refugees from Ukraine to neighboring countries. We have uh, the Wall Street Journal, overwhelmed guards, volunteers confront exodus of refugees fleeing war. And from uh, the Associated Press, refugee count tops one million. Not to be pedantic about it or get to, but we want to look at that definition because it does matter. When they say refugee count tops one million, that's not accurate, is it? It is not. They are talking about displaced persons, displaced Ukrainians um, in this case. And um, a good example of how we are distinguishing them from, for example, the uh, Afghan refugees who are still coming in uh, to Canada. And we had a, a huge program for the Syrian refugees in Canada as well. These people were particular persons who were either against the regime uh, that they were in, they were a specific religion, the Sunni Muslims. Uh, in, in the case of the Ukrainians, um, it is anyone who feels unsafe because of missiles falling on them. So they're not part of a particular social group. Right. I guess people would be really surprised to find that refugee war is not part of the definition of a refugee. That is correct. Uh, again, because of that reason that it could be such a high number of people, um, that is not contemplated in the definition. It doesn't mean that if you're fleeing from war that you wouldn't qualify as a refugee, but it depends on your situation. So it depends if, for example, um, another group in your country perhaps took over and you were part of the uh, the political party that lost and now the, the uh, party that is in control is targeting people who were a part of your party and um, are either you know detaining you, harming you, uh, you would have uh, a legitimate claim there that you could establish because there is nowhere in your country that you could go that you would be safe. 
Okay, so let's break that down a little bit then. People are fleeing the Ukraine or fleeing Ukraine because of uh, bombs falling on them. The Russians are entering the country. They're afraid of that. Would the claim be then you're not, in other words, it's not that I'm afraid for my life because of war. It's afraid for my life because of maybe the regime that the Russians put in place. Would that be an argument? Exactly. So this is not something that we are uh, seeing today, and we hope that this will not occur. Uh, but it could be that if there is an, a complete takeover, uh, that someone who was previously very outspoken against uh, Putin, against uh, the, the regime that would then be put in place, uh, the puppet government, um, the, and they would need to show that they were uh, active in the past uh, through social media posts that they did, um, organizations they were part of, and they do need to actually demonstrate this. So, um, and it also has to be the case that there is really nowhere in the country that they can go. So, if it's only a partial uh, occupation and part of Ukraine is still under the Ukrainian government's control, they would have to explain why they can't go there. And so, they would have a they would have difficulty there if um, if there is still part of Ukraine that is um, that is uh, under Ukrainian control. Yeah, I remember this happened back in around 2015, I believe it was, or was it 14, when the you know Russian troops, or at least uh, troops sponsored ostensibly by Russia, took over part of Ukraine. People that were wanted to claim refugee status couldn't because the answer was, well, just go west in Ukraine mm -hmm. because you still have a functioning government and police force there. Exactly. So the assessment, what they call it, is the internal flight alternative. And they're not assessing whether you just wouldn't have the same life that you used to have uh, in another part of Ukraine. They're actually assessing that you would be in date, you would be persecuted in every part of Ukraine. So there's a okay. big difference there. So we've, we've established that a little bit. And of course, people can always contact you at paceimmigration.com for more answers. But we've, we've established a little bit that uh, there's a process for becoming an actual defined refugee as opposed to a displaced person. So let's, let's get into that a little bit. And I've got some questions here for you. So how does someone claim then refugee status if they truly believe that they are persecuted for one of those reasons? How do they claim it? So there are three different ways, um, unless there is a special program that the government introduces, like they um, they did for the Syrians, uh, they would have to either claim at the port of entry or they have entered Canada already as a visitor. Um, perhaps they've been here for years. Then they can claim in inland. Um, right now, there's a, a newer system that uh, is done online. It used to be that you would go to an office, um, an IRCC uh, immigration office and claim, but now it can be done online. And then the third way is when you are overseas, you approach the UN. I'm not going to get into that um, extensively because it is, uh, we're talking about people who are coming to Canada. Those people are people who are, you're still outside of your country. Um, you might be in, you know, so you're in a third country. It takes years though. And um, you would later get resettled into a country like Canada. Um, but what we're mostly dealing with uh, here at PACE is people who have either claimed at the port of entry when they first arrived, or they are thinking about filing a refugee claim because uh, they were here originally as a worker or as a visitor, and then suddenly something has happened in their home country, and they're, they're no, it's no longer safe to go there. So let's back up just one second. So let me let me take it from this point. I'm the person that's uh, crossing into Poland. I am fleeing Ukraine. I'm afraid for my life. I want to claim refugee status. Mm 
um, if I understand you correctly, if I go through the process there in Poland, it's not like picking a country. I can't pick Canada then. So I have to, I basically I'm applying to be a refugee and then the UN will help sort me out from there. That is the, uh, that is one of the options to, uh, to claim. But in, in that case, you would be actually going to the Polish government and claiming because uh, Poland is a signatory of the Refugee Convention um, or in another European country, you would be claiming refugee status there, but you would be staying there as a refugee and you cannot then decide, I would now like to be a refugee in Canada. I see. Uh, and as you were saying uh, with picking, what they do is ca they call it asylum shopping. Uh, they don't, it is expected that you claim in the first country where you have landed unless you have reason, for example, if you have family uh, in Canada, you, rather than being on your own in, in Poland or in Hungary, uh, you would like to reach Canada to where you have a support network and then claim there. That, that is something that is acceptable. Um, it's not that you're barred from doing so if you, if you don't, but they will take it into account when they're wondering if you were truly afraid, uh, you should have claimed as soon as possible. Okay, so now we'll take it from the angle of the person that's already in Canada. You're saying that they can apply while they're here. Let's say they're here on a student visa or on a work visa. They've been here for a while and they don't want to go back to Ukraine. They want to file as a refugee. What's your advice to that person as like a first step? My advice at this present time, while the situation is so fluid, is that currently there are very few if any people who would actually qualify as refugees from Ukraine today. Uh, we, as I was saying, we'll see if there is a full takeover. Um, but while the Ukrainian government is still in control, you have to be able to establish why you can't live in the West. And again, keeping in mind, it's not enough to say, well, it's dangerous everywhere in the country because it being dangerous is not the same thing as persecution. Uh, so you, I, I'm not recommending to anybody to claim refugee protection today. The Canadian government has uh, introduced temporary measures. Nobody's getting removed to Ukraine. That's impossible. Uh, they're allowing work permits uh, for, for us to see how things are going to play out. And um, because the situation is so fluid, um, it, it'll be important to see in the coming weeks and perhaps months perhaps years, what you really will be facing when you go back home. Keeping in mind also that, well, I know we're, we're talking about the process now, but uh, the, the length is, is long. It could be uh, two years, a year or two before you have your hearing. So I think you've answered some of the questions already I've got mm -hmm. here. What happens during the process? You're saying uh, during the process, someone can work. Actually, you covered that more or less because they're allowed to stay. But is, the, is it the same if someone is in process for refugee status that they can work, study, perhaps achieve healthcare in Canada? Yes, if, if someone does, regardless whether you can either, you can either currently apply for a work permit as a uh, Ukrainian displaced person, but as a refugee uh, in general, they have the ability to work. They have to, of course, have a work permit, but they will be granted a work permit. Uh, they can study, there is healthcare available. Um, and yes, of course, the children can go to school. Okay. And the process, the length of the process, and this one is always kind of a who knows, isn't it? It is because it fluctuates. So there is no set time. Like if you fire claim today, you will have a hearing in eight months or in a year and a half. Um, we, we don't have um, 
full disclosure on how the Immigration Refugee Board decides which claims are going to be heard at what point. They say it's a first in, first out process, but in practice, I've certainly seen a lot of people who have made their claims um, much earlier than other people who had their claims heard. So we don't have a, a full information on how that's done. It's between, say, eight months to two and a half years right now. Wow. Okay. Uh, let's move along. So we've got we've got the person they apply. Eventually, uh, this is going to go to a hearing because somebody has to make the decision of whether or not you actually are a refugee. So let's talk about that. What happens during the hearing? Are we talking about the courtroom drama TV where you mm -hmm. go in and have to give evidence and things like that or what goes on? So we do absolutely give evidence. You have to establish your claim. You have to provide evidence uh, as much as you can. Um, to try to explain why you think that you would be persecuted. You can have uh, legal counsel with you. You can ha you can call witnesses. Um, they can call in if they are back in your home country. That can be arranged. Um, and uh, you have, you clearly you're waiting for so long. You've got time to prepare all of this. And then you get questioned. And it's not a, an adversarial type of environment. Uh, it's a, a small hearing room uh, with the board member you and your counsel, perhaps the interpreter. Uh, there are certain cases where the minister might intervene. And in that case, they, they send uh, one of their representatives uh, to question you as well. Uh, but that, that's not as common. And so normally it's, it's a conversation about what you're, where you're coming from, why you're here, why you can't go back. Okay, and I've seen plenty of times in the news where it does get rejected. Um, you have people that they put their case forward and someone, uh, what do I call that person? A judge? Is it a judge that says? Board, the uh, board member. So the board member says, I just don't buy it. I don't believe that you have this well-founded fear of persecution for one of these reasons. And they get rejected. What happens then? So there is an appeal process. And aside from a few exceptions where people aren't eligible to appeal, um, for example, if the board member found that the claim was so manifestly unfounded, there's no credible basis for it. Th those are examples where they don't have a right to appeal, but they can still take it to the federal courts for judicial review. And those who can appeal, that's another year long process, uh, but it's uh, it's primarily done on paper. There could be a follow up hearing if there's, especially if there's new evidence, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's mostly done by your counsel or, or a consultant filing uh, an appeal record, um, possibly providing new evidence, um, which they have to apply to have included. You can't just keep throwing new evidence at the board member because that you have to explain why you didn't submit it earlier. Um, but if that also is rejected, then you can, again, take it to the federal court and uh, try to see if a judge can take a look at your case and find, you know, what the board member actually made a mistake here. Okay, and if the judge does find that, does that automatically mean, yes, you are a refugee, or does it just go back after appeal to be heard again? It goes back. Uh, it can happen at the appeal stage that they can substitute the decision and find that you're a convention refugee, but at the uh, federal court level, uh, they don't have jurisdiction to do that. It would have to go back to the Immigration and Refugee Board, and uh, you uh, you would either it would be going back to an appeal board member uh, to decide the 
uh, the, the appeal again. And then it can go back to, and these are the people who end up going through the process for years and years. Uh, sometimes people can have two or even three hearings over the course of 10 years. This is rare, but it happens. Yeah, it's practically a career right there. Um, and after all of that, uh, the last gasp could be, I've seen ministerial permits where the immigration minister sometimes steps in and grants uh, residency status to people. Does that fall into play here? So that 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 falls outside of the um, the refugee process. So I, I, people shouldn't rely on um, on that as uh, you know their fallback. Um, they uh, no. They if you want to apply for refugee status, you need to establish your claim. There are other options, which I think we'll still talk about if you fall short of the definition of refugee. Uh, possible to lose refugee status. It is, yes. And so this is one important point about the definition of refugee. It's supposed to be permanent. Um, so when people come and say, I can never go back to my home country, I'm a, I need Canada's protection, I need status here, you can't just be using that for a temporary period of time. And then after you know, a few years start visiting your home country and because everything's actually okay over there. If that occurs, then it is discovered, uh, it can be discovered. Uh, CBSA, that's our Canada Border Services Agency, is actively looking for these types of cases. Um, and they will call you in. It's not automatic, but they'll call you in for a hearing and they'll ask you questions. Why are you going back to your home country? And it's uh, very unlikely for, uh, it's, it's very difficult to keep your status once you've been going back to your home country. Yeah, I've read this in the news, actually. This happened within the last couple of years that someone was visiting somewhere, I believe, in the Middle East, and they ended up getting called in. They lost that refugee status because they were going back visiting, I think, a sister or something like that or a family member. Yes. So, so you need to keep in mind, even, you know, weddings, funerals, sick parents, it, it happens a lot. Uh, people go back. So, again, it's not automatic. Automatically can explain, you know, there was absolutely nobody else who could have gone to assist my sick mother it had to be me. I have no siblings, but it, they have a hurdle, certainly have a hurdle to overcome there. Okay, let's move on then. So refugee status, maybe that's, uh, maybe it's not for, for this particular person who's watching this video. Maybe they realize that, that isn't uh, what they're going to fall under. What are the alternative routes uh, for staying in Canada appropriate for someone that doesn't meet uh, those requirements? So there is one of the main uh, fallbacks is the application for humanitarian uh, uh, to stay in Canada on humanitarian compassionate grounds. Uh, it's permanent residence as well. Uh, it is also a long process. Uh, it can take it used to take about three years two, three years. Now it's a little quicker, uh, perhaps a year, maybe two. Uh, and I'm not going to get into the full uh, requirements, eligibility requirements, uh, because that could be a whole other video, but it is certainly they do take a look at uh, issues that you would think would go into a refugee claim um, where you're feeling like you're at risk. It's, it's not safe to go there. Uh, that can play come into play because they are looking at hardship of going back home. So whereas it may have not been persecution, it can be hardship. 
I see. And people can contact you to find out uh, the differences between all of this stuff. You can they can reach you at azam or excuse me azam at paceimmigration.com. What would you like to see in that initial email that someone sends to you, Anna? Well, they uh, they have to they, if some, if you feel that you are afraid to go home, absolutely provide your your reasons. Um, you know, in a short summary, uh, do not go ahead and write an entire narrative because it might not be the appropriate uh, route for you. Some people might get in faster through you know economic immigration through through the skilled worker programs that we have um so they don't have to just because they feel like they might qualify for refugee um just go through that route uh, when there could be one that's faster and uh more likely to be successful so you don't need to go ahead and do the full narrative just uh just a summary and of course explain what your current status is how long you've been in canada or if you have not been to Canada yet, when you are planning to come to Canada. Excellent. All right, Anna, thanks for this. Uh, we wish we didn't have to have this conversation, but we do. And uh, Pace Immigration is there to help people. Anna, thanks. We'll catch up with you uh, probably shortly or in a little while to get some updates on this issue out of Ukraine and indeed around the world. Thanks, Anna. We'll talk thanks to you soon. Thanks very much, Sean. Bye-bye.